The Perth Football Podcast is proudly brought to you by Macron Store Perth, an industry leader in quality teamwear specialising in grassroots, semi-pro and professional team attire. Visit the Macron Sports Hub Perth Facebook page for more. Thank you to Macron for helping us keep the pod running and for their continuous involvement in community sport. And then there were three. Three games left in the MPL and with Sterling's results over the weekend, which realistically mean that there's only three teams that could potentially kind of sort of probably win the league. Speaking of three, there were also a hat-tricks of hat-tricks as Mr. O'Brien, Mr. Nickel, and Mr. Sinclair all grab a hat full of goals. Shout out to Sean Fry. In the women's NPL, we praise Mum FC's three goals, which have them in the top four looking out, have words of Valcato, who are now firmly, unfortunately, on the outside looking in. And finally, the Premier League is back. That's right. Manchester City were gorgeous. Man United were atrocious. And Leeds were victorious. It's the Perth Football Podcast. Welcome to the Perth Football Podcast. Uh, episode XX. And uh, I'm joined in the studio with Tommy Dolman and Josh Chayat. Boys, how are we? Good evening, Kalichi. Thanks for having us on again. Lovely to be here once again, Kalichi, after my week away. Apologies. I need to, I need to introduce you properly. The greatest man, Josh Chayat. The greatest man. Uh, Nova, do you, have, uh, do you have any queries with that one? Nah, not this week, mate. Oh, I'm okay with that. I've uh, had the explanation that it's a piss take, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say you finally accepted it, Nova. No, um, I don't accept things like that. Joined, joining us by the magic of um, what, technology and uh, communications, uh, all the way from Canberra, is uh, referee extraordinaire Alex Novatsis. Alex, you good? Yeah, good, mate. Going really well. Cold, but well. Before we, before we continue, I've got a quick question, and this one's just for Tommy. Tommy, what's the difference between me and you? You talk a good one, but that's not what you're supposed to do. You don't do what you're supposed to do. Speaking of people who have done exactly what they're supposed to do, we, I don't think all of us were, but we were at the uh, Bayswater Sterling game, a game of the round. And before we even talk about the game and the goals, there's one decision that we want to talk about. And Nova, red card or not a red card? To uh, the great Dumba. To the greatest Dumba. Set the scene, Kalichi. All right, so we'll set the scene. It's, yeah, we need a description for the it listeners. Is, the ball is at halfway. Uh, it's at the halfway line, and um, one of the hardest-working players in the league, Mirko, has got the ball. He looks over his shoulder, takes a throw in, the ball comes in, it comes back towards another hardest-working player in the league, Declan Hargreaves. He no-look passes it up in the air into like the, uh, into the attacking third, basically. Um, and the Sterling centre-back, I don't remember his name. Yankolovsky. Right Yankolovsky's come through, and he's won this header. But as he wins this header, Dumba Mikeci is looking at the ball, doesn't even see the player, looking at the ball, and he tries to jump up and um, almost Kung Fu style, use his foot, Thierry Henry style, so to speak, use his foot and bring the ball down. Except he he clashes into Yankolovsky's uh, throat, neck, chest, into that area, and it, it looked very um, it looked very Nigel De Jong, Xabi uh, Alonso in the World Cup 2010. Sorry, 2010, 2010. Um, and from a player's perspective, you're looking at that going, I didn't even look at him. I couldn't even, I couldn't even see him. There's no intent there. But from a refereeing perspective, and you could see in the face of the referee who's just looking at him and being like, mate, I don't know what you want me to do here. Like, this is dangerous play, so to speak. So what did you think of that, Nova? Uh, as a player, I felt bad for him um, because like exactly how you put it, as a referee, it's a red card. It's a uh, serious foul play. Just serious foul um, play? Endangering your opponent? Serious foul play. Yeah, serious foul play. I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult, but it's a it's a hard one to de- 
to do. I mean, uh, I think it was Julian was the referee. I actually was watching it, believe it or not, on the plane. That's how good technology is, as you say. But um, it's it was bizarre because, yeah, he, he has turned. He has, as you said, he's looking at the ball, not seeing the play. It's similar going up for a header, mate, and and your elbow hits a guy in the head, even though that's your how you're jumping. It's still, um, you know, it, it, it's still a red card offence. It's very, very similar. I think the elbow one, you can way. almost, you can almost like, you've got to seriously put your elbow out there to hurt, like to hit somebody when you're, when you're jumping up there. You can almost yeah, you go, can, you can almost go like, that's much more understandable. Whereas this one, yeah, yeah he's, but he's just trying to control the ball down and be skillful. Yeah, you still can do it that way as well. I mean, you, if you wanted to hurt someone, you could, as you could say, he's turned, he's tried to play the ball. It's unfortunate, you know, he's got him in the chest, um, studs. So yeah, it's it's serious foul play in regards to that. Um, I didn't have a have an issue with it. It's just unfortunate. It's a it's a great player. Um, so yeah, he, he'll he'll miss out on uh, miss out this week where it's an important game or games coming up for him as well. It was a big moment in the game um, because it was a pretty cagey start, I think, fair to say. It, you could tell that this game was important to both teams. Sterling, obviously, to maintain pace with Floriot. Bayswater, sort of, to, to keep their title hopes alive, essentially. But once Makeche was shown that red card, Sterling were able to just manipulate the ball really well and, and control the, the game. And when you've got players of the class of, of Calvin Whitney and, and Michael Domfe, who've sort of been there and done that over the years, it, it makes, it, it really gave Bayswater a hard task. Um, they obviously led 2-0 at the break. Goals from Palmateer and then from Dom Fay. Whitney got the third in the second half after John Steins pulled one back temporarily. But even though Steins did get that goal back, Sterling were never in real trouble uh, in the second half. I didn't feel particularly after um, Whitney replied fairly quickly. And, and curiously as well, it was interesting that um, obviously they, they introduced T-Boy Camera and um, Fraser Dunlop in the second half to add some fresh legs and a bit of impetus. And um, there was an offside goal, which was, was marginally offside. In fact, it was obviously a pretty close call, but it was an offside, I think. And um, that would have made it 3-2. But I was curious to see that Sparta and Steins were withdrawn in the game because Sparta, for me, was the most dangerous-looking Bayswater player throughout the day. But... Big win for Sterling, and it sets up a thrilling title finale with results we'll talk about in a minute. I'm not sure if it's a legs thing for Spider because there's been quite a few games where he's been. I mean, he was. We gave him the 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 player of the match award um, for the game the, the week before. Sorry, the Mano football uh, man of man footballer of the match, man of the match, Mano of the match. Whatever it is, just put some respect on the Mano's yeah, name. Yeah, we got to put some respect on the Mano name. So he he, he won that award uh, against Florida the week before, but he did come off late on the game to get a bit. I think a bit of a an elbow, but just on um, just on the red card again, uh, you could almost see with the Bayswater players, and it was such a deflating moment because uh, uh, Dumba, in fact, just showed a lot of care and uh, and uh, and and respect for the player that that he just kicked down, uh, obviously not intentionally, Yankolovsky, um, and he was just sort of a little bit distraught that he may have injured someone and also that he got the red card. And it was a really deflating moment, I think, for Bayswater. I didn't think, you know, if any team's going to be able to to stomach uh, a long period with 10 men, I don't think Bayswater would have been the team. To Bayswater have a lot of practice played with 10 men. Well, and well, they have a lot of practice playing with 10 men. Actually, we should check in on those, the naughtiest team and the naughtiest boy charts. Uh, I don't know if uh, Sean's been keeping up with that one. But um, they do play more of a sort of 4-4-2 uh, compared to most of the teams that play a clear 
4-3-3. So they're pretty used to being outnumbered in midfield. And for most of the season, uh, Hargreaves and Abraham have done a really great job playing as the two in midfield, battling and competing and, and actually controlling the game against teams that play three. So... I did think they were a team that could sort of stomach it out, but I think the manner of the red card really had an impact on, uh, on I guess, the the intensity that Bayswater had in that game. Yeah, the fact that it happened so early obviously would have would have impacted that as well. But you you mentioned him earlier, and Cal Whitney has been a he's been a match winner for them, not just in his goals and in his assists. But what what did you think of his performance, Nova? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was good uh, in terms of that. I mean, it was, and, and when you talk about the mano man of the match, I think it's hard to to actually pick one in, in that particular game as well. Um, yeah, all in all, I thought it was he was quite good. Um, but again, for me, it's it's it, how, how do you pick a player like that when we know a team like Bayswater go down to ten men um, and, and makes makes the game totally different. Um, and, and obviously structures change and everything like that changes as well. So, yeah, it was, it, yeah, to well, answer your question, I thought, he was, I thought it was excellent. One thing that Ian Ferguson did do as well was Sam Wynn played a lot more narrow. Oh, as, he's, as, he's been superb, by the way. And and obviously you've got um, Diane Spaseski, uh, who's sort of come back after his um, recent injury as well. So they went a lot more narrow. And to Josh's point, obviously Bayswater liked to play with that sitting too. And they just had the likes of Wynn Spaseski, uh, Whitney, Asher Nelson was playing quite narrow as well. Um, and, and they were just able to just exchange the passes and, and that was what helped them to control the game and see it out. I think the, the reason why we, sorry, Josh, the, the reason that we gave it to him was Sterling's problem all year has been scoring goals. And the way that he whips in that free kick for Palmatier is delicious because he did the exact same type of free kick against, um, against Red Star as well. And then we mentioned Tanika Lala's instinct. Just to unveil the curtain here, we mentioned Talikalala's instinct in the part two, which you're about to hear. Um, and the way that he has this instinct for his goal is ridiculous as well um, in terms of just that turn swivel and he hits it so quick, so early. And I think what it's in his, in his last three or four games, I think it's four goals and, and like four assists as well. Um, and he has been the difference for them. And, and it's it's good to see Domfei also get on the score sheet for them because he's going to be impactful and influential. And we mentioned it in the interview that, look, you might not win the league, but if you come into the top four um, picture and you've got Whitney scoring goals, Domfei's getting the confidence back, and you'll still have the best defense in the league, it's probably one of the teams you don't want to play. I think... Um is you went back to the future there with that. We're, we're breaking the fourth wall here. We're breaking all of the we walls. Don't, we don't record in sequence. Uh, Why would you say the loud part? Why would you say the quiet part out loud? It was a mistake. It's going gonna, it's gonna to move me to a bigger house. Uh, <laughs> we get one Simpsons reference in uh, every episode. So, you keep saying the quiet part loud. So, uh, so something that Sterling do have, they haven't scored that many goals this year, but... They do have an embarrassment of riches in midfield. Dan Spasevsky's obviously returned from his injury just at the right time to give them that extra kick towards the, well, for, for them, hopefully the title, but also... Before you continue, Dan Spasevsky also was had a uh, cryotherapy treatment and you can see the performance that he had. Now, back to Josh. Fantastic, that cryotherapy treatment. Uh, so Dan Spasevsky, he's back, um, coming at the right time. You know, they're charging towards perhaps the title, but... Definitely finals. It's all going off in Canberra right now. Uh, the uh, the other midfielders they have there, you know, they have Sam Wynn, they have uh, Calvin Whitney, Gold Ball, uh, Gold 
medal winner. They have Giles Davies, who's been absolutely sensational when he has played in that attacking midfield role this year as well. So they've just got so many players they can circulate through that part of the pitch and all have an impact on the game. Probably just about better than any other team in the league. And uh, one of the other games that happened was Floriot's 1-0 win over Inglewood with an old Inglewood boy coming back to haunt his former side and keep this title race alive. Bobby Petkov with a terrific goal, um, scored early in the first half as well. But tell us, did any of you guys get to see the game, see any of the highlights? I saw that goal. It was a game where chances were few and far between. Um, Inglewood didn't create a lot. Floriot didn't really stamp their foots um, down as we have seen in previous weeks where they have put uh, threes and fours past various teams. Um, but one thing that we did see from Florida was a clean sheet, and that's something that they've got to do a lot more of, if, particularly if they want to see this out. Um, there's never been any doubt about them scoring goals, but it's been about keeping them out at the other end in terms of their ability to to hold on to results. We saw them have that three-all draw against Coburn fairly recently, the one against Bayswater as well, which we spoke about. So that's a big plus for, for Florida in terms of their defence and, and keeping that clean sheet. And obviously, they've probably got the toughest run of the three teams by, by a, a real hair because Sterling have also got a difficult run. Um, but they've obviously got the extra points on the board over um, Sorrento and Red Star, who are both, both a point back. So, look, if Florida win all three games, um, then they're going to win the league, regardless of what happens elsewhere. But they're going to need to maintain that um, ability to keep clean sheets to do so, I think. They're really grinding this one out now. They, they were definitely second best against Bayswater last week in that thrill draw. Um, you know, Inglewood's a tough team to play against. They were in the title race just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, to come out of, uh, come away from Inglewood with a 1-0 win is pretty good. Bobby Petkov, and we spoke about Dayan Spaseski returning at just the right time for Sterling. I don't think Floriot would be in with a shot at the title if Bobby Petkov hadn't returned when he had. It gives them a focal point up front. He's a fantastic finisher. His finishes uh, last week, the second goal last week against Bayswater and the strike against Inglewood are absolutely top draw. Great Tiger man hold up play. And, you know, he, he can strike a ball with as well as any of them. It's freakish how comfortable he is he is with the ball in like really tight situations. He doesn't have to like he doesn't have to try he never beats you with pace, but the way that he does the body feints, the way that he just manipulates the ball, he beats players and he always finds a way to give himself that extra half yard. And and with that half yard, he's just been absolutely clinical. And and you mentioned a really good point that he hasn't been there for the entire time and he's been away for quite a bit, but Maybe we need to be singing the praise of Bailey Brown Montgomery a little bit more because while he was away, Montgomery was scoring some goals. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what you need from from all of all of your teams. You need contributions from everywhere. It's very very rare that teams at the top of the league, um, wherever you are around the world, manage to get through with just one player scoring all the goals. Um, you look at Red Star, who we'll come on to in a minute. You've got Daryl Nickel. You've got Chalk Door. You've got. Many players contributing, uh, Ellis Healing as well, we've seen as well. Florida the same, uh, Sterling as well. We've just spoken about their midfielders and um, Michael Donfay not having the most prolific season that we've seen him have, but Calvin Whitney and Sam Wynn and those guys chipping in with strikes as well. So it is important that that spread of goals is there, but obviously when you've got someone like Robert Petkov who can really be that focal point, it makes a massive difference just for the players to play off as well. Yeah, and, and I think um, you spoke about having you know the multiple strikers and players who can chip in. And I think the flip side of that is a team like Perth, where they have been really reliant on Hassani Sinclair, who scored the bulk of their goals, and they have struggled to score in general. Um, 
we did end up having a hat-trick of hat-tricks this weekend, and you, you kind of alluded to one earlier, um, but Darren Nichols scored three goals again, and we're not really mentioning that at all, but let's talk about the game that they had this weekend. It was a 5-1, 4-1 win over, over um, Balcata? 5-1, 5-1, yeah, late goal. And the first goal is that is that classic case of, of saying, don't let the ball bounce, don't let the ball bounce, don't let the ball bounce, oh, you've let the ball bounce, oh, Daryl Nichol is now running through on goal. And it's Daryl Nickel running through. Oh, he's an absolute raider, isn't he? He just waits for that moment for the when the defense switches off and then he picks up the pace. He is so, so quick. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago when I was on the podcast last. You don't realize how quick he is until you see him in and around that ball or running towards goal. He absolutely blasts defenders out of the water. I think Josh raised a really good point about Daryl. It's the timing of when he decides to use the pace because that that's something which can be quite devastating. I mean, from Red Star's perspective, it, it goes a long way to getting three points when you get two goals inside the first three minutes. You mentioned that first goal, letting the ball bounce. It was still a nice finish from Nickel. The second one was a much nicer, nicer, nicely constructed goal. Nickel with a rasping finish sort of across the goalkeeper. But you turn up in three minutes, and that, that goes a long way towards getting the win that you need. And uh, I suppose we'll, we have to really address it. They, they've, on paper at least, have got the most favourable run of the three teams at the top of the table. So um, for me at this very moment, they're, they're the favourites to win it, even though Florida do have the points advantage on them. Um, but whichever way you want to chop it up, it's going to be a fascinating end to the season. Before we break it down and get and get over in there, I wanted to mention this because I made a note that we don't talk about this person enough, but the pass for Nichols' second goal by Higgins is just delicious and it's everything that you want in your number 10 who can pick up that ball in the half space on on the half turn looks up and just perfectly weighted passes says hey take a touch and hit it here it's it's brilliant and he's someone that we do not mention enough in this podcast that's my favorite highlight of the weekend that pass is absolutely top draw he looks one way he slips it in behind in the gap that's left between the uh, the full back and the center back it's a perfect passing behind. And a lot of pe- people probably don't realize just how hard it is to play those passes. It's easy to play through balls when the defense is high and there's lots of space in behind. But the Balcata defense is right on the edge of that box. Yeah. That had, the, the weight on that pass to get it past the defense and keep it from being easy for the goalkeeper to come out and get it, that's a really, really difficult skill. And the no-look aspect in it as well, it's, it's a sensational assist. The timing, the timing of the run. and the, like Listen, the run, the pass, the finish... It's absolute poetry, and I think it's it's really cool. If you're a number ten, there's an almost there's almost a cool element there when you play for Red Star that you can go, I can almost overhit this here because I know that Chuck Door is on this side and Daryl Nichols on the other side, and even if I overhit it slightly, Sam Pollard is overlapping, and, and, so, and so and Sam Pollard is overlapping. If I hit this, if I overhit this even a little bit slightly, they're going to get there before. The um before before the defender or they they'll get to be able to get a touch there, that's that's such a cool thing to be able to do. He he is the definition of the MPL WA men's competition's cultured left foot. That old football cliche that we hear time and time again. The cultured left foot. He is the definition of that very uh, terminology. I want Speaking of cultured left foots, there was a two all draw that happened at the Gwellup and Armadale game, and uh, you kind of you kind of stitched me up there because. You uh, you led with you led with the punchline and not with the good stuff that happened for our friend who has a cultured left foot and gave us a little bit of salt and sugar. Friday's Eco got an assist and an own goal, and you only told us about the own goal, uh, Nova. Yeah, I think yeah, mate. I wasn't watching the game. I was just getting sort of uh, fed information. But um, 
yeah, Gwellop were looking the goods um, with probably about four or five minutes left to, to go. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, it sort of opened, the, unfortunately. It's funny because I'm over here in Canberra with um, Shane Skinner, who was the referee. He's actually over here with the elite referees. And um, he mentioned to me, it was one of those ones that, you know, it's, cut, it's been cut across and it's bobbled and, and sort of he's tapped it in. And, you know, it always happens when it goes to one with three to four minutes to go. It's panicked. You know, you sort of panic and anything can happen. And lo and behold, it did. It um, sort of gave open the door for Armadale to, to get the equaliser. That was a really unfortunate again, moment. You know, well up unlucky once again. I think, you know, from what I've been told, um, you know, deserved winners in that game. And, um, yeah, you know, look what happens four or five minutes you know you've got to play out the full 90 plus whatever the referee decides and um to, to get your results and um yeah it's it's one of those ones that have let uh, another two points go begging it is a bit it is a bit gutting for them because obviously it has taken them off the bottom of the table but to get that extra two points would have been nice there must be some really yeah, mixed feelings absolutely go on mate sorry tommy no, I was just going to say there must be some really mixed feelings um, after that one because from from what I saw on the highlights, they played pretty well for the first 80 to 85 minutes of it. They seemed to have the better of the game. Um, the circumstances to which they took the lead were perhaps a, a little fortunate. Um, obviously, they then they then got 2-0 up. But, yeah, at that point, you've got to try and see the game out, haven't you? And, and that's and – that's, can be the difference between staying up and going down at the end of the day. Yes, the point does take them out of the drop zone. And at this stage of the season, and particularly with the difference in goal difference, especially after Balcata's loss at the weekend, you would rather have the points on the board and you would rather be in that 11th place going into each match day. Um, but I think that if you look back on the season and Gwellup go down by less than um, a couple of points, then I think that's going to be the, 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 the game they'll look at with the most regret. We do have to talk about the celebration for the first goal from uh, Noah Kanzi because I believe this was Kalichi's favourite football highlight of the entire weekend. Okay, from now on, if you score a goal and you do the gritty, I will send you a Mano football ball because I want to live in a world where people score goals and do the gritty. It is amazing. Kalichi has just found out that the new edition of FIFA, the final edition of FIFA, has the gritty as a celebration and he is... So excited about that fact. I, I'm, I'm buying the game for Sam Kerr, uh, being on the cover, even though she plays for Chelsea. I, but I'm also buying the game for the gritty. But going, going back to the foosball, um, you were about to mention something, Nova. Do you remember what you were about to say? No, I don't. But um, oh, no, I, I do. Actually, it, it's interesting. I said, as you know, Friday was in last week, you mentioned, you know, sort of playing out those games and um, mm. the experienced players help you do that. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, this is what's happened again. And, and it just leads up to another interesting um, three weeks with, you know, Balcata still to play well up on equal points. Um, you know, should Balcata take the three, they put them three in front and then goes down to the last, potentially the last round, which according to fixtures could be an interesting, um, interesting thing. All right, we'll go really quickly. We've got two games left before we talk about our predictions for the last three oh, games. Um, we got through really quickly, Glory and Sorrento. Big win for Sorrento. Uh, a must-win game for them. Obviously, building on that win at Inglewood last weekend. And it's a result which puts them right back in the top four hunt. They're two points behind Bayswater now. They've got a game in hand. They've still got to play Inglewood. 
They have got a very tough run in. They have got to play Floriot, Sterling, and Perth Red Star, and that Inglewood game, of course, as well. But look, if they win those games, um, I think you called them the king holder before, didn't you, Kalichi? They are king makers. King makers. Sorry, um, they um, they are going to be fully deserving of their place if they can beat those teams. It's kind of like a little early final series for them already. And with Chris Jackson back in the goals, he got a couple at the weekend. Um, that'll really boost their confidence. And um, yeah, they, they're going to be a very dangerous team and they're going to have a big say in the title race. They've got the players that can make it happen as well. Like the amount of quality they have, particularly in their, their forward line. Cummings uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cummings as well. You know, Marylanders had games where he's... <clears throat> Sorry, Marylanders had games where he's uh, stood up and, you know, looked like the world beater that he was back in his heyday at Bayswater. He's still a fantastic player even now. So they've got a lot of quality that can really challenge those top teams in the last few games. And unfortunately, there was a hat. There's the, the two other hat tricks that happened happened in the most inconsequential game in terms of the ladder and everything like that. So if you haven't, go on the Football West Facebook page. And check out the Perth SC and Coburn highlights because it is just a masterclass in striking and finishing. Harry O'Brien scores a hat-trick. Hassani Sinclair scores a hat-trick as well. And it's just a joy to watch. Did you see all of the goals from Harry O'Brien? His movement, his pace, his power, his direction. It was just a joy to watch. He must be so happy and thrilled with the way that the season's gone for him. You know, how many years he's spent you know, not getting in full seasons, missing seasons because... He's had injury problems, uh, winning winning the the cup as captain, and just the performances that he's put in. I mean, I'm not sure if they're doing it a stateside this year, but he must be uh, in in and around there. If 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 uh, if you're going to be picking a stateside, oh, I I put him in the team because you could play him anywhere. You could play him in the ten. You could play him out left. You could play him out right. The way that he's been playing, and you honestly, you go watch those goals and the places that he's scoring these goals from. There's one of the shots where he's not even in the shot when the ball gets played into the striker. And then you just see this blue, like just blue blur. Flash. Flash. Flash blur. Go straight through. Take one touch. Take two touch and drill it. And then you're going, yeah, he's he's on he's on top form right now. And at the same time, we mentioned this earlier last uh, weeks ago when we were talking about Hassani Sinclair. And um, you were completely right there in terms of saying what his goal looks like. And Hassani Sinclair goal is a ball into the box, giving him something to jump at and put his head on. Um, but between the, the movement for his first goal and the movement for and and, and for um, the header that he does score, he's been superb. He, he is a he is a striker. He is a very good striker, uh, and he is a striker that relies on service. And particularly in the early part of the season, Perth were playing a bit of a narrow diamond in in midfield. And whilst you can still obviously thread a pass through for Hassani to run onto, I think he's far better when you can get the ball out wide and you can put the crosses into the box. Um, he can obviously do both. Um, but he's had a he's had a great season, and he's he's done that before. He's scored goals at Guelph, he's scored goals at Coburn, even Forestfield, I think. Wherever he's been, he's found the back of the net. So, all power to him, and uh, yeah, I'm sure if Perth will keep him around next season, or at least they'll try to, and 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 maybe they can bounce back next year with him leading the charge. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned that like Perth, uh, Perth have had a lot of change from the squad that won the title last year. They brought a lot of new players in. There's been uh, some hits and quite a lot of misses, but I think that. Uh, Hassani is definitely one you'd have to say is a hit and if they can keep him around he's actually someone that they can build the squad around if they want to return to making a challenge next year. Alright, really quickly we're going to go through the predictions so I hope everyone's ready Nova, you'll go first. Here are the last games 
Um, here are the three games that Red Star have. Red Star play Glory at home, Sorrento away, and Coburn. Coburn. Nobody wants to play Coburn. They play Coburn at home to finish off the season. How many wins do you give them, uh, Nova? I'm giving them three. Three. No, nah, they've got a trip up at Coburn, right? It's got to happen. That's 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 what it would look like, mate. That's that's what the narrative is. The narrative is that Coburn makes someone stumble at the last game. I, I don't see them losing uh, to Glory. I think they'll get over Sorrento, although that's a tough matchup. But yeah, that Coburn game is interesting because Red Star play really good football, particularly at home at Red Star Arena. But uh, you know, Coburn just have it in them. They they always turn up for the big games. I don't know if they slip up. If they do slip up, I have them slipping up at Sorrento. I think they win all three. That's my okay. So, so, so we've got them at we've got them by consensus. We've got them at forty-seven points. Sorry, forty-eight points. Got them at forty-eight points. Nine points. Nine points on top. Right now, Floriat. Floriat plays Sorrento at home. Sterling at home. Armadale away. Two wins and a draw. Oh, the draw with Sterling. Oh, Nova. One win, two draws. Oh, you've put the knockers on them. Yeah, I have. Um, they will they will draw to Armadale. They will lose to to the other two. Wait, wait, wait. No. You've got them winning sorry. one or? Start again. They, sorry, start again. They'll lose to Sterling. They'll lose to Armadale at Armadale. Wow. So they win the next game and then lose the next two games. You, you really don't like them. Yeah. I do. I love Florian, but um, I just think it's it's a, it's a tough task at Armadale, um, and Sterling Sterling look pretty sharp at the moment as well. I think I think I know. And, it. Yeah, and then this week they've got they've still got, and even this week will be tough because they've still got Seldaris out too. I think I know what Nova's trying to do. Floriot's had this curse hanging over them for years. Nova loves the club. He played there back in the day. I love all clubs, mate. I don't want any. I love all clubs clubs equally, but unfortunately, that doesn't happen. (laughs) Especially, Um, especially the ones he won the title at. So, so he 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 does. He doesn't. He he does not want to put the knockers on them. Okay. Before the last day. Next one. All right then. What about Sterling? Inglewood at home. Florida away. Sorrento at home. I think they'll beat Inglewood. I think they'll draw with Florida, as I mentioned before, and. I can see the last game being a draw as well because I think Sorrento will need something to get to the top four. So I'll win in two draws. So you've got Red Star winning the league? Yes, I do. I think... uh, Yeah, I think they beat Inglewood. Inglewood aren't on a good run of form at the moment. Uh, I think that Florida... I think Florida beat them. I just think Florida grinding out the results... Right now, and uh, Bobby Petkov is a really, really tough matchup um, for the Sterling. Sterling fence has been really good, but I can't remember if Bobby played against them in the first game. I think he may have been injured. Nova? Win, win, draw. So who have you got winning the league? Red Star. Wow. Red Star take the league for the men's and the women's. Imagine that. All right, we'll leave you to imagine all of that. And that will be the end of part one. We'll be back with part two. What did the uh, drummer call his triplets? What? 
and a one and a two and a three. Ba boom boom boom. Baby, Baby on board. How I've adored. And we're back with part two of the Perth World Podcast. We are joined still with Josh Chiat. Josh. How you doing, Kalichi? Mr. Football himself, Tommy Dolman. Hello, hello. And I like to call this section the real MPL because it's my favorite part of the MPL. We're talking the Women's League. Guys, did you manage to get out and see any of the games and or and or highlights? Yes. Well, we've both seen goals and highlights and, and I went out to one game. Talk to us about the game you were at. Where were you today? Uh, you were at the um, NTC game. Correct. Yeah, on Sunday. So it was a big game given that Mum FC had won by three goals to over Kern on Friday night. It meant that the winner of that game was really the team who was going to be in with a shake of making the top four. The loser was going to suffer a little bit of an uphill battle to try and make the postseason for the first time. And it was a really impressive performance by Hyundai NTC. Um, they recovered from an early setback. Monique Podding, uh, Monique Godding, sorry, <laughs> with a twice taken penalty. Um, and then after that, NTC just responded and they fully controlled the first half. Um, without Gabby Del Bosco in goal, Balcata probably could have been three or four or five, one down at the break, but instead it was just the two um, with goals from Violet Longmore and Tanika Lala. And then Lala got a, another in the second half. And then from that point, really, it was a, a measured performance from the youngsters. They were able to maintain control of the ball, keep the football as we know that they can. And and really dictate terms, and and Balcata really didn't sort of um, throw a shot in that second period. And Tanika's uh, first goal that was an absolute banger. It was one of many that we saw this weekend. There were some sensational goals uh, in the women's games, I and mean, some pretty big score lines as well. So you'd expect to be a few decent goals in there. But she's having a really really fantastic campaign. I think we talk about it quite a lot. But uh, you were saying before she's just pulled in line with Sarah Carroll for the second uh, on the goal-scoring charts. I'm not sure if there has been an NTC player in that position before, but for a, a player that's just turned 18 this year, or he's turning 18 this year, it's, it's a great performance. Yeah, she's by far the highest scorer in the MPL women's era that they've had. I think Monique Prinsley got, a, uh, got to 10 last season, but via a hat-trick on the final day. But yeah, what impresses me about Tanika is just her instincts, I think. Just around the penalty area, she's just got that real... I'll repeat the word instinct where she sort of knows where the goal is. She's not scared to take the shot on from outside the area, as you saw with that magnificent strike on the weekend. She's confident to step up to the penalty spot and emphatically put it into the bottom corner, not just sort of send the goalkeeper the wrong way. She she picked her spot and she knew exactly where she wanted to put that. And just in general, she's just someone who's always looking to make things happen. So, yeah, um, Josh obviously knows a lot more about her th than I do in terms of her, her background and, and her sort of development and, and her history in WA football, but she has just adjusted brilliantly to this season. And uh, yeah, it's, she's, she's going to be a much sought after player, I suspect in the years to come. Well, there's an interesting question or discussion here, I think, because um, she's obviously, she's grown up in Kalgoorlie. She's played really as one, one of... Uh, Kalgoorlie, did you say? Kalgoorlie. I don't I've think been, you've previously mentioned that. I've just been in Kalgoorlie, actually. It's a lovely place. You don't sleep a lot when you go to Kalgoorlie. But... Uh, She's played as the, the lone girl or one of only a couple girls on boys' teams pretty much her entire life growing up versus now there would be a lot of girls who are coming through playing in, in girls' squads or going into the NTC program quite young. So you're playing with girls quite a lot, although the NTC girls, uh, when they're younger, they do play in boys' leagues. Um, but it is an interesting discussion about you know how long uh, should girls be playing with boys because you, know, you do get... Uh, 
a different aspect to development when it does start to get a little bit physically tougher, which it does when you get to those ages like 13, 14, 15, 16. And some players uh, will struggle with that when they transition from the girls' game to the women's game. Other players uh, do stand up really well physically and they're able to uh, get used to a game that's played at a really high speed as well. Yeah, and the impressive thing, I think, for this NTC team is it's a much-changed one from, from from last season. They lost a lot of players at the um, end of last season, obviously, the likes of Camberero, Monique Prinsler, who we've spoken about before, Ella Lincoln, Tanisha Baker, and previously other players have left. But, um, yeah, we, we saw the uh, Women's State League Night Series final, Kalichi. I think we, we did the commentary for that one, and we saw a couple of those players like Violet Longmore, um, like Iskia Brooking, Sophie Meaden as well, playing in that game and not looking out of place at all and looking like really talented players. And they've just stepped up and and pushed on even further. And yeah, they're in with a real shot of, of making their first appearance in the postseason now um, in terms of the way that the final three fixtures play out. You mentioned Brookings and that state night series final. And uh, I remember speaking to the coach, Sam, um, Sam Geddes, about the team and, and the players and, and saying, look, you've got a bunch of a teenagers, like, like, and not just 19, 20-year-olds, but more 13, 14-year-olds. Are you sure that they can take this? And she was more than comfortable, I'm sorry, more than confident about them being able to hack it physically with the players, which, which goes to show a whole lot. But b- before we go and talk a little bit about Balcata, because it's interesting the amount of games that they've kind of let slip in terms of, they're now on the outside looking in in terms of the top four. Tommy, you've seen them play quite a few times, the NTC. And I think we mentioned off air that they can be a little bit Jekyll and Hyde, Jekyll, Jekyll and Hyde, Jekyll and Hyde um, in terms of their performance. So what, what was it about this performance in particular that kind of stood out that, that made sure that they were able to get the result? Because as you said, as you said previously, sometimes they turn it on, sometimes they turn it off and that could just be a, a case of youth. I think what you're always going to get when you watch an NTC team is the pressing and the intensity and the closing down. You, we've seen that even against Red Star this season. That's not really been um, the issue, really, in any of the games we've seen them play where they have ta- uh, challenged some of the best teams, including Perth, when they've, I've obviously, they've obviously won th- against the Azuri three times this season. But it's the the control of the ball that they had on Sunday, which was probably the most impressive aspect of the performance. Just when Balcada were trying to get ahead of steam up, um, NTC were just able to maneuver the ball so well and, and keep control and change the tempo as well of, of the game and, and knew when to sort of send the ball a little bit more um, with a bit more pace across the pitch and when to just sort of exchange those short passes in the midfield. Um, we know Lily Bailey's good with her feet as well. She's essentially an extra defender um, at, at the back as well and they're, they're very confident in using her. So it was the, just the way they kept the ball and um, you can obviously attribute that down to, to, to obviously Balcatus press to an extent, but I think you've got to give more credit to the way that they kept the ball. And in, in terms of Balcatus, well, as I said earlier, they were, they've been on the inside of the top four looking looking out and now they're on the outside looking in. Is it a case of the players a little bit tired because they have had quite a bit of fi- fixtures or they've just been unlucky to play Subiaco twice? Um, their, their remaining fixtures look okay in terms of in terms of playing Curtin next, but at the same time, Fremantle and Fremantle can be a little bit hot and cold and then they finish off with Red Star. I think it's going to be difficult for Balcatta now because after Curtin, they've got Fremantle and then Red Star. So they are going to be two very tricky fixtures for them. They have beaten Fremantle this season. 
Um, and they have but, been up against, they have been 2 0 up against Red Star. Again, that was in the, the preseason before they were called Red Star, but that was maybe that's some confidence that they can take into that match. But with five points uh, deficit to make up on fourth place and with three games left, you, you're relying on other results to go your way, particularly with NTC finishing off against Kurt and Subiaco as well in their final three games. Uh, and Murdoch University, Melville have got uh, the top three teams while we're sort of on that topic. So that's a really tough run for Luke Thompson's team, and that's why they really did need to win that game against Curtin. Um, just to go back to Balcada, I think it's a combination of everything. They've got a lot of talent in that team. It took them a little while to gel in the earlier part of the season. You mentioned the COVID um, issues that they did have, and they weren't quite able to get any momentum into the season. It was sometimes they'd play two games in a month um, at, at times, and there was a period where I think – some of the other teams in the league had played eight or nine games and they'd only played five. Yeah. Um, so so that makes it very difficult. But they did still recover that situation. They did go on a five-game winning streak in the middle portion of the season. So I'm not sh- quite sure where things have changed. They've obviously lost a few players out to injury. Gabby Del Bosco missed a couple of games, including the State Cup semifinals uh, through COVID. Um, so yeah, things have just sort of not quite gone in the right direction for Balcada, but ultimately it's going to be a third season in a row where they are likely to miss out on the top four. And that's a, a pretty disappointing return for a, for a club as, as, as proud of them, I think. And I, and I think they'll be among the first to acknowledge that as well, deep down. I think they would have looked at those games against Subiaco and obviously Subiaco had all of the new talent that came in and it was probably a bad time for Balcada to play yeah. them. But you'd look at those two games, they would have been ones they had earmarked. Hyundai NTC, they would have had earmarked. Um, and if you just look at uh, the, the, the the goal tallies, um, I think they've been hurt a bit by not scoring enough goals as well. Um, them and, and Murdoch to an extent, although Murdoch have been very solid defensively. I'm just going to go into a team who has been scoring quite a few goals. Perth SC ended up with a, um, a convincing 5-1 win and it kind of puts them in an interesting situation now because they do have Red Star coming up this week end um, and potentially might play them twice in the top four um, top four games. So it'd be interesting, as you mentioned, um, to see if uh, Pete shows his hand a little bit. The goals have come at the right time. Obviously, um, some would say that a 10-2 ten, a ten, uh, win over Curtin probably isn't good. Um, on the face of the results, um, broadly speaking, across the league. But for Perth, it was exactly what they needed because it just gave their players like Liana Cook and Ella Lincoln, who have little, been a little bit out of the goals, a, a little bit of confidence. And you sort of started to see that shine through again against Fremantle at the weekend, obviously putting five past a, a pretty strong City team. I think they were only really missing uh, Michaela Lyons from their from their usual side. I think Tash Rigby... And Laura Waltman, Jess Darmago, um, Jamie Lee Gale, I think all of those players, Dale Schroeder was back as well. They all played. So, yeah, I'm not sure um, what's what's sort of gone on with Fremantle. They obviously had that two-all draw with Curtin relatively recently as well. Um, and suddenly they're looking over their shoulders a little bit as well in terms of the top four. They're not – NTC have closed the gap on them as well. I think they're only a point – um, clear of Mum FC, who are fourth. Obviously, those two sides meet this weekend on the synthetic on Saturday night. So that that could be a really important game. And if Fremantle were to lose that one, then they're suddenly looking over their shoulders at, at NTC as well. But I suppose I've, I've gone full circuit here and I've kind of gone the wrong way because you asked me about Perth. And we've spoken about this for the majority of the season. Well, I have anyway. And that I think they've shown... Um, in the games against Red Star so far, that they are the best equipped team to take them on in a one-off game. And 
the only issue is them being not taking their chances. We saw that in the state cup final and in the two earliest and, and in the two meetings in the league, not least the goal of straw that we saw Kalichi and, and the round 12 meeting at Dorian Gardens when they lost one nil. So who knows, maybe these goals that they are starting to score will help them. Is, uh, is Abby Meekins the best uh, dead ball specialist in, in the MPL comp? She's got to be right up there. She's always been capable of scoring goals from long range. She scored that sensational volley against Fremantle City last season, you might remember, on the left foot, which was probably unlucky not to win the goal of the season awards. So, yeah, she, she's just a, a great player. And her story as well, she had a really bad knee injury uh, coming into the beginning of the, the MPL women's era. Um, and I, I did remember speaking to her quite early on and it was quite a, a building process back for her. She's obviously a former NTC and she was a sort of real prospect uh, with Perth glory. Um, so to see her back and scoring and in really good form is a really good sign for Perth. Someone else who was amongst the goals was someone who scored eight goals midweek against Curtin and um and got a goal in, well, for the under-20s and then got a goal in the weekend. Can you give us a few words on, um, on Stella? Yeah, Stella Zamponia. So she's a player who's played uh, in the 21s for Perth for the past couple of seasons. Um, and they think of her really highly at Dorian Gardens as, as a real sort of a player for the future. I, I saw her in a couple of games last season in the... Um, I, I did the under-23 top four cup final last season, and, and she was really impressive in that game. Um, obviously, she got her first league goal, her senior league goal, on the weekend, the fifth against Fremantle City. But she scored 26 goals at under-21 level this season. So she's full of confidence at the moment, and I expect that she's a player we're going to see plenty of in the years to come. We mentioned them earlier, but my FC did have that 3-0 win in the early fixture. And it's been quite a bit of a turnaround for them, and and... In amongst the goals was Sadie Lawrence, so it's got to be good for them to have her back um, in the squad, scoring goals, and um, again, in this crucial lead-up time towards finals as well. Yeah, she was integral against NTC last week, really, really helped them to see out the game, and this week as well, she got them off to that flying start, a magnificent left-footed strike that we were sort of fawning over a little bit (laughs) while we were watching the goals back before uh, coming on air. Um, she's obviously sort of building up her fitness now going into another season with Perth Glory in the A-League women's competition. And she's going to play a big role in the final few games. If they are to try and dig out three points or or even a couple of draws in those results, in those games against the top three sides, um, she's going to be super important. But um, what Luke's done with that team and that squad of players, uh, such a young team and what he, what he has sort of done to get them into a position where they're even in the shakeup for the top four at this point of the season has been a, a real sort of triumph of, of what he's achieved. I think in my opinion, um, they've won five of their last six games. And as Josh alluded to before, they've actually got the third best defense in the league. Now they've, they've sort of overtaken Fremantle in that statistical column and only Perth Red Star and Perth Soccer Club have got a better goals against record. So yeah, it, it what, what he sort of set the stall out on doing is making them hard to beat. And, and that strategy has really sort of come to fruition in the back end of the campaign. And I mean, when you look at the, the goals, goals conceded, they've conceded just over a goal a game, which is really, really good, especially for a squad that we spoke about lost so many talented players, particularly in the defensive end of the park. So, um, I mean, Baxter, Theo in particular, uh, I think anyone would agree was probably the standout defender of uh, the NPL women's competition last year. And uh, obviously that the shuffling of the team arounds also meant other players like Poppy Hooks has moved further into midfield as well. Uh, Father. Luke, Luke, father into midfield. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, Luke Thompson, uh, first year coach at this level. 
as well. So really impressive achievement if he is able to grind out these results in the last few games and get them through into the finals. Um, you know, obviously they haven't missed that yet in the uh, in the MPLW competition, having won uh, the last two. So they'll be absolutely chomping at the bit to get back there. And and if they do, you know, fantastic achievement with the the circulation at the the players that uh, they've seen leave the squad. And particularly considering that they didn't have a goalkeeper to start the season. That's, yeah, that's playing, another, playing, yeah, playing teenage oh, wingers in goals. Yeah, that's um, it, it, it's been it's been a heck of a journey. Um, one player I do really want to shout out is Rosie Lahane, though. I, th- I think for me, if there is going to be a player of the year at, at Murdoch University Melville this season, I think she'll have to be right up there for sure. She's a player who played quite a lot of minutes actually in the first two years, where they obviously were super successful, but. She's just elevated her game to another level, particularly in what is a very young sort of group around her. She's had Katie Schubert back in the team for a couple of games. Uh, I think she might be back maybe for the next, sorry, for the last two or three matches of the season, um, back back from holidays. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, how, how they can hold up. This is the big test now. Um, if they can even just eke out one win, we've seen them already do it against Perth this season. If they can just get three points somewhere, and maybe a draw in another one of those games, then who knows, they might have a shot of making it as well. Uh, just to wrap it up, let's we've got three rounds left. Let's do some uh, predictions and see see what we end up with in terms of the top four, shall we? Uh, so Red Star versus Perth, who you got? i I got to go with Red Star yeah, still. Yeah, you can't. I, I, think, I think if they lose any game leading up to the finals, I think it's going to be a, a massive shock and a massive... Massive turn up of the books. So if Perth are able to get one over them this week, very impressive. But I think you've got to go with Red Star as favourites. They've, they've so impressive. Yeah, I think Red Star will probably want to make a bit of a statement after that goalless draw that we saw last time out. Um, Perth, Perth, there's no reason why Perth couldn't go and get a draw again, but I'd expect Red, backs, uh, Red Star to, to prove a point. Cool. Um, we'll go really quickly. Uh, Mum FC versus Fremantle. This is a really This is super game. quickly. This is super quickly, guys. Uh, mum. Mum? Draw. Draw. Lovely. Uh, Belcada versus uh, Curtin? Belcada. Belcada. Subi versus NTC? NTC, based on what N- I saw on Sunday. I think NTC have a lot to play for. Uh, obviously, with Subi losing to Red Star 6-2 on the weekend, I think their very slim finals hopes have finally been dashed. So I think NTC have a lot to play for. So if, if your results happen, then it's NTC. Oh, imagine that. If your results happen, Tommy, then it's NTC with 26, Fremantle, sorry, 29, Fremantle with 29, and Murdoch with 28, with two games to go. Yes, it it's it's shaping up to be an exciting finish for the top four. What a we, league. We, we, Tommy, we knew, Tommy we just gonna, loves drama, I think. We knew it was going to get to that point. Um, and in the final round of the, the season as well, I have had a look at it ahead already, have, obviously having had to do notes for the commentaries, but NTC versus Fremantle City potentially on the last day of the season is going to be a real humdinger if, uh, if sort of the form lines continue as they are. The best thing about Tommy is that he would have known that those were the points totals before he gave those results. He had that all planned out. I actually didn't because that Mum FC Fremantle game is suddenly a really tricky game. You asked me that two weeks ago, and I think Fremantle probably would have won that comfortably yeah. in my mind. But the, the form and the momentum shifted quite a bit. Yeah, I'm with you. In to- and, and yeah, I'm with you. Uh, talking about shifted, we're going to shift perspective and go into part three and talk about the Premier League. We're going to get Sean back 
It's Hatgate and the Premier League. Thank you for listening. We will be back with more. Sean's away, but that's all good. I get to do the ad one more time. Of course, the ad is for Macron, who proudly support us, and we are proud to be supported by them. Macron, of course, are an industry leader in quality team where specializing in grassroots, semi-pro, and professional team attire. We had a really good email come in from Macron. We've got one of the clubs that they sponsor who are thinking of having a mental health day, and we can't wait to tell you more about that once it happens. Just gives you an idea of the work that Macron are trying to do in the community. So please check out their Facebook page and social media page for more information. Thanks to Macron for their help and for keeping the port running, keeping the pod running. Uh, Remember to check them out on Facebook and on social media as well. You take care and we'll speak to you soon. Here comes part three. Unfortunately, by the way, Sean couldn't be there for this one. When we did call, I think it was stupid o'clock in Canada and uh, he couldn't be a part of it. But it's still very good and we all get to laugh at Manchester United. All right, welcome back to part three of the Perth Football Podcast. Before we get started on the Premier League, which is back, I'm going to read a quick message from one of our friends at Balcata. We asked them earlier, hey, could you give us a little bit of, a bit of context in terms of what's going on at, at Balcata right now? And they said, look, they don't want to make a lot of excuses, but a lot of their players have been sidelined um, from the starting 11, either been sidelined through COVID or injury in the last few weeks. But on the, on the positive side, which is always good to see, um, it's given a chance for the younger girls to step up, gain valuable match experience at the top level and for the coaches to experiment with the magnets. I'm assuming those are the players. Um, and they said, look, it's obviously gutted and they wish I had done a better results. Um, and it's tough seeing a club with such a talented group in the bottom four. And I just love the honesty there. I love the fact that we just they, that they looked at it, accepted it and said, look, we have this higher standard that we want to hold and, and make sure that we're in the top four and, and absolutely kudos to them. So thank you so much for sending out that sending us that message and giving us a chance to talk about that. That said, Leeds had a great game. Tommy, talk to us about that. We're leading on that. Okay, cool. That suits me fine. Um, yeah, I mean, after the um, the torturous end to the last season where we scraped through, thanks in, thanks really to Newcastle at the end of the day, because if uh, Newcastle don't beat Burnley, then it wouldn't have mattered what we did at Brentford. In the end, we got that moment where Harrison scored the goal and the roof came nearly came off of my living room because I was in absolute raptures. Um, but yeah, I mean, encouraging starts to the season. 2-1 win over Wolves. I thought we played really well in the first half. You could see what Marsh's... Um, style is going to be, there's going to be a lot of pressing, there's going to be a lot of hustling, there's going to be a lot of chasing, a lot of diagonal passing. It's not going to be as wide as what sort of Bielsa was wanting to do in terms of using the out-and-out wingers in Rafinha and and Harrison. But um, yeah, it's just really good to see Patrick Bamford back. He still looks a little bit leggy. Um, But at the end of the day, a win's a win to start the season, Um, especially coming from behind as well. Um, Wolves did score against the run of play in that one, but... Yeah, three points. Um, nothing to get too carried away at at the moment, but it's a good start. And I think um, in terms of Marsh's messaging going forward, we're going to see a pick. A, we've seen a sample of what to expect. And the win obviously helps with the buying with the players and the supporters as well. So all positive. Yeah, rooting for Marsh. He's, super, he's supremely positive and really confident. And I know that for some strange reason, English people don't like confident people. So I'm absolutely rooting for him right the way through. Um, you did mention that I buried the lead there. And of course, the lead is that United didn't have a positive result. So let's talk about that. Uh, Josh, your boys didn't didn't quite get the 
didn't quite get oh, the way to get City. We're talking about the other United. Well, uh, well, we've already started with the first United, uh, the and now we're going United. about the other United. So we had the damned United, now we got West Ham United. Uh, so, yeah, I, mean, I, w- I watched a little bit of the game. Um, I really wasn't expecting much going in. Although I was thinking, you know, Man City took a really big punt with the players that they rotated out so that they could make room for Holland's salary. Um, so, you know, they got rid of Sterling, who's an absolutely fantastic player. He was really good for Chelsea. One of the top five goal scorers of all time. One of the top five goal scorers of all time. Um, Jesus and uh, Zinchenko w- were never necessarily settled as starters in the Manchester City first team, but they were really, really good tr- contributors for a long time for that side. Um, but I think you look at how Haaland played and as long as he keeps himself fit, which I think is the big question mark about Erling Haaland with how much football he's missed, he's going to be an absolute beast and an absolute handle for defenders. That said, uh, West Ham have some issues at the back with players injured. So we signed Naya Faged and uh, he injured himself promptly, which is a classic uh, West Ham signing. Uh, so we had Zuma and uh, Ben Johnson as a fullback playing in centre back. Yeah, it- it's a hiding to nothing that first game against Manchester City. You know, you're not going to, your season's not going to be determined. You're not going to take anything out of it going forward because you're probably not going to play um, against Man City for how you're going to play in 16, against 16 of the other 20 teams in the league in total. So, yeah, it's it's a tough one for West Ham to start with. Um, with Holland, good luck playing a high line against Manchester City this season. They. We already know that how capable they are on the ball and how much they like to build, exchange the passes in midfield, play in between the lines and, and bring out bring in their wide guys um, into the game. But now they've just got that option of going straight through the middle, as we saw with De Bruyne's pass. And for the someone the size of Haaland, the athleticism and the pace that he shows, even the run to win the penalty in in the in the at the other end as well, not just that, not just the second goal, which was the moment which everyone sort of looked at and went, "Whoa, this guy um, is going to be an absolute weapon this season." Um, I think my my view was always going to be a little bit worried because Dortmund play a very counter attacking brand of football. That's how they've played for the past couple of seasons in the Champions League, and it was I I thought that there may be a little adjustment period. Um, with regards to how City build up differently. But obviously, we've seen in the first game already that that's probably not going to be the case. So, yeah, good luck this season chasing them down. What you really have to look at next time you get a chance and you're watching is just watch his movement. Um, Obviously, against Liverpool in the um, Community Shield, people made fun of him because he missed. But if you go back and watch his movement before he even gets that goal... As as the striker, or as as I'm not sure who strikes the ball, but as the person who strikes the ball strikes the ball, Haaland, if you watch Haaland, he takes about six steps, moves back on side, and the last one that he does, he's already accelerating, moving towards the goal. So he almost gets it really quickly. And there's a header that he has after Jack Grealish does a really good work um, against West Ham, where you see him start off at the six-yard box, and by the time that cross has come in, he's already just zoomed right past the striker. And, and again, in that goal... I, I don't want to compare Daryl Nickel to Erlen Holland, but the the movement, the timing, the pass, it honestly, it felt very Steven Gerrard to Fernando Torres in like early 2000s um, Liverpool. And you, you, like this, there's only so much you can do about that. I think Pep Guardiola as well is a great predictor of shifts in, uh, shifts in the style of play in football. So he, he's looked at, you know, style of play changing a little bit, particularly with the way that Liverpool played and, and beat them, uh, fairly regularly over a couple of seasons, although you only got the one title so far. 
Um, so, you know, he's moved out some of those smaller, more mobile players that play in different positions. He's decided that, you know, this player's available and we need a, a big, strong striker and we need to play a little bit more direct now because the style of football and the way players are is changing a little bit. So I think he's, he's a really good predictor of uh, changes in style of play. And I think that him bringing Highland in and moving some of those other players out is, is maybe a part of that. I'm known for my terrible segues, but speaking of predictor of style of play and changing things and things not changing at all, can we laugh at Manchester United now? Because I, I, I kind of feel for them, right? But at the same time, it's hilarious. And I was watching that game legitimately hoping that Ronaldo came on and scored two goals. It would gloss over all of the cracks that they don't have a midfield and Brighton ran rings around them. That 4-0 preseason win over Liverpool seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? When, <laughs> In all seriousness. I mean, the thing for me watching that team last night was Rafael Varane was on the bench. Ronaldo was on the bench. Um, Donny van der Beek was on the bench, who is supposedly one of Ten Hag's sort of lieutenants, uh, yeah. lieutenants from his time at Ajax. But the most concerning thing for me, which was most baffling, was they played with zero width. At all, like you're playing with Sancho, you're playing with Rashford. You're meant to have Dallow and Luke Shaw um, getting high up on the flanks, but they just had none of that. Luke Shaw was crossing the ball from the central midfield position. Sancho and Rashford were both tucked in. Um, Ericsson and Fernandez, you could see, were forming some sort of relationship in terms of sort of alternating that false nine and number ten position. You could see a little bit of movement starting to unfold with that. And that that could be a pretty good partnership, but the pieces around them in the attacking third, I mean, Sancho and Rashford, as I said before, just weren't in the game. And with McTominay and Fred behind them at the moment as well, that that screen is just not good enough. And it's a position that Manchester United, in all reality, have neglected for a very long time. That central defensive midfield position, they have not brought anybody in. Um, Won't go as far back as Keane, arguably, Or, or Carrick. Arguably, they've they they have they have neglected that position for so long, and I think the the hope was that someone like Pogba could play in there. But when when Pogba plays in that position for France, Kante does a lot of his running for him, and and Manchester United don't have that player to do that running for him. So it was never going to be a fit. And yeah, the reality is is that a lot of work has to be done. And and I would be surprised if Eric Ten Hag wasn't on knocking on the door of the board of directors this morning saying. We need to sell some players and we need to bring some new ones in. Um, I I also want to make a mention. Did anyone see the incident on Danny Welbeck? Oh, the the, the push in the back from Martinez? absolute shove in the back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Martinez legitimately accelerates into Welbeck. How was that not a penalty? How How does the referee miss it, the VAR miss it, and none of them go... We might want to have a look at this again. Just, 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 just maybe have a look at this. I wanted to bring you brought him up before. Um, Welbeck was outstanding. His Terrific. movement was incredible throughout the whole ninety minutes. He he looks like a player who's had a really good preseason for the first time in a number of years, and his movements combined with uh, the likes of March Trossard and Gross sort of milling around in those attacking midfield positions really made a difference to, to how a difference in the game because Brighton were just so fluid when they got into those attacking areas. Can you imagine how a strikerless United with a grown baby in Ronaldo riding the bench would feel watching Danny Welbeck after after all those years come back and teach them how you play as a number 9? That guy, Welbs, he played like he had a point to prove. Oh, and also Liverpool had a one-all draw and the season is over. 2-2 two, two draw. Sorry, a 2-2 two, two draw. 
two two chicken. And so 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 bad that you've season's over. Blanked out and forgotten the second the second two goals. S- season's over. Did you think that like again? I think they're both potentially penalties. But like Van Dyke's one gets given as a penalty, and like that other one doesn't get given as a penalty. And again, we're we're not this conspiracy theorist podcast who think that the world is out to get them. But it's just like you look at that, and you go, guys, what are you doing? You're not helping yourself here. They were they were they were both penalties for me. Um, it was look for me, it was just a slow start from Liverpool. It took them a long time to get into that game. We saw glimpses in the second half when when Darwin came on of what they are going to look like when they are at their best. For me, though, my main concern with, with Liverpool this season and why I, I tipped City for the title was their midfield. I just think Henderson's another year older. I, I think Cater's not proved himself consistently over a period of time. Thiago's been injured, has his injury issues over the years, and Milner's also had his... Um, he, he's also another year older too. So I think the midfield position is one of, of great concern for Liverpool, despite Fabinho being a usual consistent player in there, even though he was substituted. And a question for you, Kalich, is do you feel that the departure of Sadio Mane was somewhat understated in terms of the way it happened? Because I think everybody just sort of thought, oh, it's okay, we've got Nunes coming in, we've got Diaz waiting in the wings. But Mane has been such a massive and consistent figure in, in the way Liverpool have played over the past few seasons. Mane is, has been so good for Liverpool that he would make Liverpool's all-time eleven. Like, this only competition is John Barnes to play on that left-hand side. John Barnes is a Liverpool legend, and Sadio Mane's numbers, Sadio Mane's performances have been better than John Barnes. That's how good he is. And Jurgen Klopp made a really good point. He said that we are losing a player at their peak. That player has left us at their peak. Like, he he might be slowly declining from his peak, but his peak is still pretty high up there. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it'll be a really big loss, but I, I also think that... Um, when when he was there for the last part of the season, he was playing striker, and knew and um and Diaz was playing out left and and was really really good out there, and Diego Jota was playing really really good out there. I I think he will be missed, but I think that there's other things that are going to be in terms of a or there's going to be other things that change from that team from that dynamic that means that it'll be, um, that it'll will be a change. But I I also think that we, it'll take some adjustment because legitimately speaking, there were times where. Salah would have two players on him and Mane would be free and Mane would destroy you. And then Mane would have two players on him and then Salah would be free and destroy you. And I don't think Diaz is quite there yet. Rapid fire, because I think we're running out of time. Top four this season, Kalichi and Josh. Uh, I think the top four is Liverpool City in some in some way. Um, it'd be really hard for Liverpool to have a better season than last year where they came two games away from winning everything. Um, I think Tottenham come third. And... You don't want to say Chelsea, do you? Chelsea for me. I do want to say Chelsea because I love Raheem Sterling and, and, and Reese James. I love those players so much. I think they'll have enough, especially with, with Koulibaly. We, we've saw, we saw at the weekend their ability to grind out results, and I just think that Man United and Arsenal are a bit further back. So you've got the same four as me? With City winning the league. Cool. And Josh? Yeah, I, I think I'm basically exactly the same. I thought Tottenham were really, really impressive uh, the way they fought back from a goal down against Southampton. Kulisevsky continues to impress. He's been spectacular since he joined them. He's a fantastic finisher. Do you have Southampton going down? I do. Ooh, I don't know if I have Southampton going down. I would have had Fulham going down before the weekend, but I think the interesting thing for them is... Recency bias. Recency, well, recency bias. Uh, it is recency bias, but I think the interesting thing for them is can Alexander Mitrovic become championship Alexander Mitrovic in the Premiership? 
Southampton, Bournemouth and Fulham are my three going into the weekend, and I'm not going to change that. Cool. Well, look, we will be back next week. Hopefully some games have happened, and it's been an absolute cracker of a weekend with two games left in both of our leagues. And um, hopefully Liverpool get a, a result and can... I don't know, get back into the title race. Uh, last words, last words, gentlemen. I don't care about Liverpool getting back in the title race, uh, but I'm sure, but I'm sure they will. No, just to all the listeners out there, just get out to the grounds, get out and enjoy the last few weeks of the season. We've got some entertaining stuff in the MPL men's and women's also state league as well. Um, Kingsway like they, they're going up Gosnell's as well. Um, so yeah, just get around to the grounds and make the most of the last month or so of the season. I think you're absolutely spot on there. Enjoy it while it's here before it all goes. You take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Getting lessons in in grammar here from my teacher, Kalichi. It's all right, uh, man. It's, it's my second language as well. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Um, the I get derailed every single week. <laughs> <I suppose. laughs> anyway.